Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Julius Bear's Moving Markets podcast. Another special episode for you today. Moving Markets will be back in its usual format on Thursday, the 4th of January. But today we have an excerpt from a recent conversation that our China strategist and head of research Hong Kong, Richard Tang, had with Hong Hao, partner and chief economist at Grow Investment Group. This was another Beyond Markets podcast, and the discussion was about the Chinese market. Here's a snippet where they talk about China's exports and the country's property market. This year has been particularly challenging for Chinese export because simply that the economy globally was not particularly strong. Now we are seeing some clues that、uh, it looks like the U.S. economy was not as bad as I think most people initially expected. So, assuming that U.S. sort of held up in terms of the economic strength, Europe a little bit softer, but overall we probably are seeing slightly better economic growth globally. Does it mean that the Chinese exports would at least improve a little bit? What are your thoughts on that? I think it's not about the Chinese export growth slowing down because we we had a really good three years during the COVID pandemic. I think China was the global manufacturing center of the world back then. So I think going to now after COVID, people realize that probably you need two supply chains instead of just a one linear, super lean. I mean. Supply chain like it used to. So once you get another pandemic hit, then everything will be in disarray once again. So I think the world realized that you actually need a backup system, and that's why in the past two years we're seeing new emerging manufacturing center emerging in other parts of the world. For example, Mexico for the U.S. and also Vietnam and Southeast Asian countries for to complement what the China is doing now. So I think if you look at the trade composition. So not only the value-added goods exports from China to the rest of the world is increasing. So it's now made up more than half of Chinese exports. China has already successfully remodeled itself from a low-end, low-value-add exporter to a high-end, more sophisticated exporter. That's number one. And number two, I think you were right to point out the U.S. probably gonna slow down from this year, but. The U.S. is no longer the biggest trade partner for China, even though it's still one of the biggest. But I think the Chinese trade with Southeast Asian countries now is more than what it trades with the U.S., and that's quite interesting to know. And also, some of the Chinese exports or some of the onshore manufacturing facilities, some goods that used to be made in China now is being shipped overseas as well. But it's still Chinese owned, right? So. Many of the Chinese merchants and Chinese businessmen opening factories in Southeast Asia. So, for example, a couple of years ago, a very giant shoe manufacturer relocated much of its manufacturing facilities to Vietnam. So now, many of the entrepreneurial Chinese businessmen opening high-end manufacturing center in Malaysia, Indonesia, and also in India. So, if you now make a trip to Southeast Asia, you can't help notice that you know there's just so many. Chinese-speaking guys around, right? So many of the Chinese restaurants catering to that demand. So I think things are changing. China not only is still a export powerhouse, it has already remodeling itself towards a high-end manufacturing, while shifting some of the lower-end stuff to the neighboring countries because you can enjoy lower cost, lower labor cost, land cost, and also favorable policies. Things are changing a bit just because the growth in exports is slowing down. 
doesn't mean that China is being shifted away from a, a global manufacturing center. And also, if you look at the the trade figure, so each year the Chinese exports generate about eighty billion U.S. dollars in current account surplus. So that's just phenomenal. Eighty billion a month current account surplus is like some European countries' entire country's GDP. So that is very significant. So I would say that China still enjoy relative strength in its manufacturing sector. I know so some of the manufacturing facilities, especially the lower end stuff, has been shifted out by the Chinese to the neighboring countries. That's very interesting. I think there are three points that I think particularly useful for investors that you just mentioned about export structure. Number one, Chinese companies are going out to build plants outside China, so a diversification of production capacity. Second point that you mentioned, which is really good, is that Chinese exports are raising their value added. And then third one is that even the demand structure is changing, diversifying from largely U.S. Europe in the past to now, including a lot of Southeast Asian as our new customers in China exports. So that's definitely very, very interesting. Now, if we move on to talk about property, you already mentioned a bit just then. But my question to you is, if we consider so-called the new objectives from Chinese government in the property market, they started to mention more about developing a rental market. And what caught my attention most is that they want to develop social housing or public housing, however you want to call it. Would that be able to absorb a little bit of inventory away from the current commodity housing? Because data basically shows that we have 20 months of inventory in the Chinese property market. So if we have more development on social housing, are we going to take a little bit of that from the inventory, would that be one of the ways to accelerate the desocking cycle? Or you think that we simply have to take a long time for the inventory to digest gradually? I think it's going to be hard. Already we have so much inventory in the marketplace. Unless you repurpose some of the buildings you've already built but unsold towards the social housing, then it probably helps to digest some of the inventory. But overall, if you do that, then it certainly will invite a lot of criticism. For developers, for example, for the houses that is being built in the past couple of years, they were acquired at a very high land price. So all the way until 2021, land price has been rising rapidly. Therefore, the housing construction has been very costly all the way up to that point. So if you want to repurpose those buildings towards social housing, then you have to reimburse the developers for their losses, which is difficult to do. So I would say that because social housing has been an, a very important initiative to alleviate the uh, housing burden for many of the Chinese families, but the fact that its result is minimal, none of us can feel it, basically. Otherwise, why would the Chinese property price have been rising so rapidly for so many years? It's precisely because there wasn't enough cheap house for families who can't afford to buy. So that's why everybody was squeezed into the commercial residential sector. So I think as a result, if you hope that the social housing initiative that has been around for years, that could alleviate the current situation, probably you're hoping a little too much. I think going forward, once again, we have to readjust our expectation to a much lower sales per year sort of environment. In this new normal, you're probably going to sell 700 to 800 million square meters a year. But even so, if you look at the housing under construction uh, numbers, right, so you have 10 billion square meters being built, of which 6 billion square meters is residential. So even at the current rate of 800 million square meters a year, 
it will take you more than 10 years to sort of build all those houses and sell it. So it's just a phenomenal, monumental task for the regulators to overcome. So I think one has to be very patient now and also get used to or accept the, the new normal where we still have a, a very heavy housing inventory to clear and it's probably going to take some years before we can fully resolve the problem. So that's all for today then. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. To listen to this conversation in full, please search for In Conversation with Grow November on the Beyond Markets channel. The usual Moving Markets show returns on Thursday, the 4th of January, but do tune in again tomorrow when we'll be sharing more interesting insights from our recent podcast. Bye for now. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research. Please refer to www.juliasbear.com forward slash legal forward slash podcasts for further other important legal information. Für unsere deutschsprachigen Zuhörer. We would also like to make you aware of Marktanalysen und Gespräche, a monthly podcast in German, where Julius Baer experts discuss some of the latest market developments. We share our key research and insights on today's ever-changing economic landscape in German. Search for Marktanalysen und Gespräche on your favorite podcast player.